0: Hit record, bitch. They're like, Thursday night, it's the new Friday. woo <sighs> Whatever. I'm Ryan. <laughs> and I'm Harland. We're the Doddlers.
1: And this, this right here that's happening, it's already begun. Record has been hit, bitch. <laughs> Is the Doddlers Philosophy Podcast. Podcast.
0: with you this time
1: we're not dropping calls we're not dropping points nice we're gonna hold everybody to everything they try to say okay sounds good sounds justified do you remember uh two episodes ago remember that remember when we talk about intuition in philosophy
0: oh yeah
1: because that's going to kind of be carried through to tonight. Okay. So if we picked up Herman Capellen as a regular listener now, we've got another episode for him to continue the <laughs> argument that yes, indeed, intuition plays a very large role in at least Western analytic philosophy. Mm. Last time we talked about how Hilary Putnam appeals to intuition a lot, and tonight we're going to do an even larger, more expanded example of, to my mind at least, how intuition plays a huge role in philosophy. With looking at this is Justified True Belief Knowledge paper by Edmund Giddier, and then the subsequent tradition of definitional patch attempts that came out of this motivation. And I don't know much about him beyond this paper, and as you look him up on Wikipedia under his selected work, this is it. This oh, no. 2.7 page paper is the only thing that shows under him, so I don't know what else he did with his life, wow. but he wrote this wrote this <laughs> oh wow i didn't know that about him huh and it obviously stimulated a ton of work afterwards and there are no major follow-ups from getty himself i don't know perhaps he did write something but it didn't make it make it big uh as this one did
0: you got a hero's retirement walked off to the sunset said it's your problem now got on his horse <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. He said, giddy her up. Oh, there you set me up.
1: For it. I didn't catch that one. But at least you were waiting in the weeds. I was. In the tumbleweeds. <laughs> A common theme on the Dollars Philosophy podcast over our shit ton of episodes has <laughs> been epistemology, because I quite like epistemology, and it seems pretty relevant to many topics, if not all. Is traditionally defined as the study of knowledge and justification. The longest standing at definition attempt for what knowledge is is the good old JTB <laughs> account that knowledge is justified true belief. It's arguably as old as Plato. They usually reference the Theotetus and the Mino, where he came around to this, though he didn't, you know, spell it out and define it in this way. But that's the first early development of an account of uh, trying to form some necessary and jointly sufficient conditions to constitute knowledge. A human agent, an epistemic agent, has to be there. They have to believe the thing. I believe that it's raining outside. Do so for a good reason. I'm not just lucky. we the justified condition is in there significantly, if not primarily, to minimize epistemic luck cases. It seems counterintuitive to most to say that you know something if your belief is formulated either with an unreliable mechanism or selected at random. And in my opinion, most importantly, it has to be true, the proposition that you are believing. Mm. That also seems to be the least contentious of the criteria. Almost everyone accepts that knowledge is going to include at least true belief. And at least, at least, true. You, in other words, everybody agrees, almost everybody, everybody I know of, agrees that you cannot be said to know something that is false. And episode six, I think that's all one needs to motivate skepticism. Mm. But we won't primarily be talking about that tonight. But Mm. we got epistemology, we're studying knowledge, and knowledge is justified true belief. At least it is in America 1963. (laughs) when Edmund comes on the scene and in this very short and extremely influential paper argues that the JTB account of knowledge fails for insufficiency. He thinks, I'm going to bring to you some examples of cases where we have justified true beliefs but that are not do not seem to you to be cases of knowledge, and to hearken back to a couple episodes ago, this is what Kaplan was referring to in his book, Philosophy without Intuitions, as the method of cases, oh, there that's you what. Know. Gettier is using in Is Justified True Belief Knowledge. I think this is a perfect paradigm case of a philosopher arguing with this method of cases. He's gonna give us a couple of examples rather than a good old Harland-style argument. Argument as his as a argument <laughs> as his reason to justify his claim. JTB is insufficient for knowledge. Comments?
0: Well, not. I don't have any comments. I just, I can see what's on the horizon, and so I'm just kind of, I'm waiting in anticipation because I wanna. I, the real meat of it's just about to happen. Okay,
1: so we're gonna just dive right into this paper because it's short and sweet, and we're gonna give a couple examples of what have come to be known as Gettier cases. A Gettier case is any example that would lead most epistemologists to say, simultaneously, X is an instance of a justified true belief, and X is not knowledge. If you have those two conditions met at the same time, you have found a Gettier case. So, what is Gettier's case number one? There are only two in this short, sweet paper.
2: Quote. (laughs) Suppose that Smith and Jones have applied for a certain job, and suppose that Smith has strong evidence for the following conjunctive proposition. Jones is the man who will get the job, and Jones has ten coins in his pocket. Smith's evidence... For, said proposition, might be that the president of the company assured him that Jones would, in the end, be selected, and that he, Smith, had counted the coins in Jones's pocket ten minutes ago. That proposition entails, the man who will get the job has ten coins in his pocket. So that will be
1: the proposition, the P, in our s believes p example subject s believes proposition p and then we're going to check if that is if that p the man who will get the job is in coins in his pocket is also justified and also true we're going to say all right it's justified he personally counted the coins in jones's pocket Smith, they were sitting in the waiting room after the interview, and they were bored as hell. They don't even have any magazines or anything. Or the only one they have is Field and Stream. And these guys are like, I don't give a shit about fish. What do you? What's what's in your pocket? And they're emptying out their pockets on the table, and <laughs> there's some matches and gum wrappers and whatever and coins. The relevant aspect is that Joe in Jones's pockets. <laughs> were these coins and Smith sees them on the table and he's like oh yeah look at that you got (laughs) ten coins that's interesting maybe someday I will revolutionize epistemology with this fact so that's the justification (laughs) we typically accept that as pretty solid epistemic warrant if you have first hand perceptual You know, like Descartes sitting in front of the fire with the paper in his hand or G.E. Moore holding up his two hands or whatever. This is as good a case as you get. It's regular old justification. So if anything's justified, Smith's knowledge of Jones having 10 coins is justified. And he believes it. So then the question is the truth component. And we haven't got there yet because we don't know who will get the job. Because the proposition in question is that the man who will get the job has ten coins in his pocket.
2: So, to go back into a quote. Let us suppose that Smith sees this entailment. From Jones is
1: a man who will get the job and has ten coins to the man who will get the job and has ten coins.
2: And accepts it on that basis for which he has strong evidence. Imagine further that unknown to Smith, he himself... Not Jones will get the job, and also unknown to Smith, he himself has ten coins in his pocket. Unquote. Here's where the luck comes
1: in, where the coincidence, the accident, whatever, comes in. Smith is justified in believing P. The man who will get the job has ten coins in his pocket, but his justification was counting the coins in Jones's pocket. He was mistaken that Jones will get the job. Actually, Smith is going to get the job, and he has 10 coins in his own pocket, which makes P true, because the man who will get the job is now Smith, and Smith has 10 coins in his pocket. S believes P, in the example, the man who will get the job has 10 coins, is justified. It is true, and believed by Smith at time
2: T. Quote, But it is equally clear that Smith does not know that P is true, for P is true in virtue of the number of coins in Smith's pocket, while Smith doesn't know how many coins are in Smith's pocket. Unquote.
1: According to Gideon, we have a case of justified true belief, but it is equally clear that Smith does not, in italics, know in
0: that case. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a confusing thing to say because the definition of knowledge that he's working from, or at least the idea of the definition that we start out with, is justified true belief. And then he's, he cuts it in half, you know, the different sides of the equation, and then keeps them both... And just says that you know this, you know the term on the left, knowledge or whatever, is is not equal to justified true belief. It's equal to something else, but somehow, when he says you know it's equally clear that Smith does not know that the proposition is true. For if the proposition is true in virtue of the number of coins, blah blah blah, I just think that. That seems to be uh, that is the jump, I guess. Because then it's like, well, we already said, you know, what, what what is the definition of knowledge then at that point? I know that the whole point of this thing is to say we don't know what the you know is to mess it up. But that it, it, that whole thing of saying Smith does not know it just kind of all of a sudden it seems to come out of nowhere. That we have to deal with this knowledge still, but the definition we were using is not it but we have something called knowledge but we don't know what it is but we have this other thing called justified true belief it seems to be exhibited cle- quite clearly in this smith guy like it, it i don't know that to me is kind of the that is the sharp turn that i get thrown off the train <laughs> and it's just like what and then you know you're who landed uh,
1: on me i'm not quite sure anymore i was thrown off that. the train at the same point um, so it looks like tonight maybe another <laughs> okay. case of traditional dawdrs style agreement at the end of it but we've got all these papers and eminent philosophers we can talk about who disagree with us
0: and i have all the ad hominem attacks that i can i can flail at you so it's you know if they're not satisfied with disagreement they at least get full-on thanks done you know just Emotional dismemberment. I'm ready. Bring it on. <laughs> when we were
1: talking about the Kaplan on intuitions, he stressed how one of the phrases that often gets used is the fra- the seems terminology. Gettier doesn't use that, but when he writes the sentence, it is equally clear that... I think we can insert the word seems there. Cuz you know what is this what is the definition of clarity and how do you m- compare to what's the metric mm-hmm. are you saying they're equally clear? I don't know. It doesn't seem clear to me. It apparently doesn't seem clear to my podcast co-host. That's me. What <laughs> what Gettier is really doing when he says it's equally clear is if we Korzybski it if we general semantics that he's saying, well, but it seems to me that Smith does not know. So Gettier doesn't feel like calling that case knowledge. And that is my problem in general with this entire discourse that has been stimulated by this paper. But it is equally clear that Smith does not know P. Okay. In my opinion, that move is entirely illegitimate. <clears throat> I kind of go to a courtroom metaphor in my own head and imagine some lawyer before a judge trying to make an argument. And I'm currently confident that the correct response to that is just to throw it out. The uh, The opposing counsel raises an... Uh, uh, what do they call... <laughs> <laughs> an objection? An objection. The opposing counsel raises an objection, and then the judge should say sustained. When one of the lawyers comes in and says, Alright, what is on trial here today is the definition of knowledge. That's what this case is about. I'm gonna use my method of cases here and give you a case to show that the method I mean the definition of knowledge is guilty of the crime of being insufficient. Okay, that's what we're here for today. We're deciding Mm -hmm. that case in a court of law. Mm -hmm. For that lawyer later to say, but this argument I just made, all of us, of course, it seems that Smith does not know. Objection, Your Honor. Mm -hmm. He is bringing in the very term that we are attempting to define. It is incoherent and nonsensical for us to make a judgment as to whether this case is a case of knowledge or not a case of knowledge if we don't know what the definition of knowledge is. And since the definition of knowledge is the whole point of us being here today, you cannot bring in, you can't smuggle in on your side of the case, you can't just say, well, clearly he knows. <laughs> Because we don't know what nose means right now. Right. And then the judge should say, sustained. You can't do it, Gettier. We're done.
0: The thing that I, you know, wonder is if that move at the end was not made and it was instead just an attempt to say, here's a crazy idea of how you wouldn't have, uh, you know, what, what's happening when somebody thinks something is you know, whatever the case, et cetera. and they they meet all the criteria for the definition that we call knowledge. But then there's this weirdness going on where they're the ones who get the job, but they think it. You know, the whole justification for their, you know, belief in the proposition is now all askew because they're the one who got the job. They thought it would be that other person. I don't know if that's it doesn't matter. I think it does for the whole justified part. I, I, I would think that that would be a contribution. Has that ever been... Am I wrong? Is that not a contribution either?
1: I think that what you just mentioned will come up as one of the first tweaks that we talk about. Because what we'll go into after... The, so, first we presented the Gettier case, then we gave a little preview of what I'm going to whine about later. Oh, okay. And Ryan looks like he might agree with me. Now we'll try to go back to it, give it it's most charitable reading and then look at what epistemologists have done with it since Okay. when they try to make these patches. And I think that what you just mentioned will be addressed in one of these first patch attempts. Okay. In its own terms, I think that I share the intuition. What I don't share is a willingness to play the game of epistemology utilizing intuitions. But we'll set that aside for now and come back to it in a moment. Just looking at this case in itself, my chimp has (laughs) that same semantics. I'm like, yeah, I get it. We don't want to say that Smith knows Proposition P. If what he thought was Jones is going to get the job, Jones has 10 coins, but then Jones doesn't actually get the job and he just... It's, again, this epistemic luck case. He was right by accident. And if you're right by accident, we don't want intuitively to call it knowledge. I have that same knee-jerk reaction. You know what I mean? Do you? Sure, sure. I I, I think I'm following. I think that it's the same anyway. The simplified version is just looking at a broken clock, and the broken clock is right twice a day, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You walk past, and you see it says three. One of the hand, the long hand points at the twelve. The short hand points at the three. You yes infer from that the belief that it's three o'clock. The sun is out. Right. You add that in, so then you think it's three p.m. You believe it. You're justified in believing it, and the truth part—that's the magic one. It kind of just floats out there. Let's say, coincidentally, luckily, yeah. Yeah. you happened to glance at the clock when it was 3 p.m. in your time zone. Right. So that also makes it true. All of a sudden, you've got a JTB, but do we want to say that the person who looks at a broken clock at the right second knows what time it is?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for sure, I... I do and the share intuition.
1: That. Yeah, the, it's supposed to pump the intuition that you're, you're just like gotcha. no. He doesn't know. <laughs> of course, he doesn't know. He's looking at a broken yeah. clock, right? And then the other primary resource that we used in preparation for this Doddler's episode was a YouTube series by a channel called Wireless Philosophy. Which I think is, at least this series is pretty good uh, Their epistemology series They got these 12 little short videos It's
0: nice, go check it out if you want Yeah, it's narrated by That Jennifer Nagel, is that correct? At University of Toronto Jennifer
1: Nagel from Toronto Yep,
0: Toronto Toronto. Yeah, that's
1: how they say it up there, I think Okay. You know, like Baltimore or whatever you know. We say Toronto, Toronto And they I think kind of say Toronto, whatever all of our listeners from Canada can correct it. Write, mm. write us.
0: We need some hate mail. We know, <laughs> yeah. And we hate mail from Canada, because you know how us Americans think of you guys as just softies. It's all that maple syrup. Oh, nice.
1: <laughs> An example they used in that video, in that series, was you've got a tribe of primitive people who are going to fry up a pig on over the fire and they light the fire but it's kind of near the very beginning and so it isn't really smoking yet but the meat from the pig has attracted a cloud of insects a returning hunting party who's still distant on the horizon sees the cloud of insects and mistakes it for smoke on the horizon infers from that, oh, where there's smoke, there's fire. I bet they lit the fire back at home. Their belief is justified. They're inferring it from sensory perception of clear and present what they think is evidence on the horizon. And they believe it, and it happens to be true, because yes, they did light the fire, but what they were looking at wasn't smoke, but was just insects. I kind of like... It's just another example to add. I like that one. Mm -hmm. It's apparently an old one. I think we might not even come back around to the second case from the Gettier. Mm -hmm. Because it's not directly in the thread that we're going to do. And I don't think it's really importantly different. It kind of gets into logic. And we're doing stuff about, well, you can construct an indefinite list of disjunctions that have one true component and it's if we get run out of time too early we'll come back to it but anyway so we've got this giddier case okay we have the broken clock we don't want to call something knowledge but it is a justified true belief So that's where we get what has come to be called the Gettier problem. That is, what needs to be added to JTB in order to get all and only? Because philosophers love their goddamn biconditionals. This is knowledge if and only if. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you
0: have to add to JTB to properly encapsulate knowledge? And we're all super confident that it's just the, something that's missing from this JTB motif, right? You, it, you couldn't ha- it couldn't be something else. It couldn't be LBF or whatever. It has to be JTB plus, right? Well, there, <laughs> that's not the that's,
1: only route, but that's the route that we're going to be examining today. And that others
0: have examined. That's the plus component, right?
1: Yes, and a huge industry has built up around this mysterious plus. It's huge. It's bigger than Amazon. How are we going to patch JDB? What is the plus going to be? And a bunch of epistemologists have written a bunch about this. And then, so we'll run through a few, and then I'll explain why it's all bullshit. <laughs> it was all a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Do it. First example. Michael Clark, what they have come to call the no false beliefs account of the plus. So for Clark, the plus is it is on true grounds that Smith believes the proposition. Mm-hmm. In our example, it would fix Gettier case one because Smith was believing that on false grounds. One of his grounds was Jones will get the job. That turns out to be false. If we just take false beliefs out of the justificatory framework, have we now fixed it? I don't know how often I should leave space for you to say anything, or if you're just I, I, thinking, nope, sometimes oh, I'm, I'm like, going. are you
0: asking me or are you asking the universe before you punch it in the face? You know, it's one of those things. Where and uh,
1: If you have anything to say, I want to do that. Because that's the point of dawdlers, And we're not just lecturing at these fuckers. We want to think and come up with something. So whenever you have a comment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, that seems ticky-tack to me. Only because it, seemed, it it's it's kind of a... You know, you're going in after. And just are like, oh, yeah, and by the way. You know, like, no false beliefs. You know, like that thing. Like, and it's just, it's not... it's It's a mess now, the whole justified true belief thing it seems like that doesn't have the same weight no false beliefs as either any of the other words in that definition and so to me it's sort of like it's like it's like something you would have said if like you were Gettier and Harlan came along and was like, wait a minute, or whatever. And then he could say, oh, I went on True Grounds, there's something like It just seems apologetic, I don't know. Well, it's fine. Get a better water.
1: publicist. Come up with a better, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think... I don't like this critique that you don't think it sounds on a par with the other criteria. We Call it True Grounds instead, or call it just Grounded. So now it's JTBG, and now, okay, all right, well, that does sound like the other ones. I don't think that's what we should care about.
0: Well, it's, but it's, uh, are they not synonymous? Isn't belief already in there? You know, I mean, it grounds beliefs. I mean, it's, and then grounds isn't that sort of like justification. These things all seem too interchangeable and it's all it is is it's taking one of the one or two of the words and splitting them in half and saying there's a positive end and a negative end and we're not going to use the negative end and now it's just this thing that's sort of in the uh definition but it's not you know it's like a wink wink nudge nudge you know it seems to me anyway it doesn't seem like it's part of the definition yeah, other we, than yeah we implied. don't want to
1: end up with something Trivial, circular or redundant, or and you're you know you're kind of saying it sounds like it's in that neighborhood. there might be some redundancy in there or there it's might implied, be
0: some, yeah, yeah, redundancy or it's implied or something like that. I don't like I mean that doesn't seem like what people are after anyway. you asked me to pipe up, and so here I am, yeah, i don't
1: I don't share that concern or critique i'm with okay artists. with this being a possible patch i
0: don't know. seems like you're going in afterwards and you're like well well like it like there's no definition you know like now it's just again like, i have this definition with conditions you know <laughs> whatever which is fine i guess but then is that but i mean there's the whole damn field is epistemology and that's what they want the centerpiece to be this definition with conditions, just, just so you know, no false beliefs, you know, or what? like it's, I don't know. I don't
1: see what's inherently wrong with that strategy. And yes, we are going in afterwards because that's just how the state of play is going right now. We started, we thought we had a definition. Someone else came along with a persuasive counterexample. And now we are... If we're persuaded by the counterexample, we have a choice. We could throw it out and start from scratch, or we could try to fix it. And these people are pursuing that angle. Is there a way to keep what we already had, but just realize that it fell short of sufficiency, and can we add some, comp- some components or a component to fix this
0: counterexample without breaking anything else but this isn't a real like solid thing right i mean it's like um i think the analogy and i'm gonna butcher this but i think the analogy is that even using newton's inverse squared law for orbits in the planets and all that kind of stuff they still in order to get things to match up with what's observed they still had to do like all these perturbations to the orbits to be able to get them to do that so the actual theory itself didn't do it on its own you know they needed to find a way to kind of mess with it you know add a little bit of noise or whatever and and change things but they but it was it was just sort of like a "Eh, we have to do this little bit of fudging you know after and just kind of make sure that everything goes according to the way we observe it but we still like our theory you know or you know we still like the newtonian explanation even though it's not quite doing it you know or whatever i I, that's kind of what it sounds like to me is like if you go in and you're doing these patches as you were talking about it's like this perturbation theory stuff where it's just like well isn't there just like you know is that really the nature of the model to match up with the observations anyway so are you
1: just saying that in general you would tend to be of the strategy if a persuasive counterexample is found. Let's just abandon and start over. Let's not preserve what we've already established and attempt to fix it. Well, because in part I could just say, well, and you're a very example. You're like, well, scientists do it too. So that would almost be a well. They don't do it now.
0: Thing. They don't do it now because you know Einstein came along, but and other people came along. So I I mean, but at the time, that was just sort of the patchwork that was done uh, because they didn't have anything any better. So that's what it sounds like philosophers are doing, or epistemologists are doing with their core, long-standing definition of knowledge, which is a big part of, you know, it's the centerpiece of the whole damn discipline. At the same time, I would just say, like, you know, I wouldn't just abandon the whole thing. I just don't know if that. You know, if it's if it's a patch or if it's a component, that seems more. I don't know. It just seems a lighter weight. Um, it's an augment of the little parts, but that's you know not. I think what the whole, you know, the the idea of having a definition of knowledge. The definition definition of knowledge is something that should somewhat stand on its own. And if an additional component, or a, diff- a different understanding of one of the components is required then you know so be it and that's kind of what it is and of course we got stuck on the first one this is totally our way we get stuck on the first one and we're like rush through to get the other ones out of the way or whatever but anyway
1: well because often your tendency seems to be not to address a flaw in the first example but rather just to question the entire enterprise and be like but why are they (laughs) patching at all
0: fuck that no just like i don't if that's the patch i say that's a bad patch let's move on find a better uh way to go about it i mean is that all these are are all of these uh, that you're going to talk about like are these all just patches as you would describe them and not like you know, is this people just trying to preserve justified true belief, and as it is, and not add anything? Because I thought the plus wasn't a patch, but it was like a, like you were saying, maybe the grounding thing, or whatever. Um, You know, would be JTBG, or whatever. Okay,
1: are we having a problem because I'm misusing, or using differently than you, the word patch? Because, yes, it is, they're adding another component, to the definition of knowledge, I was calling that a patch. Maybe that the Michael is, Clark one doesn't sound like it's an addition at all. It sounds like it's it's intended to be an addition. So Clark is saying, knowledge is a justified true belief that is itself formulated on true grounds. So that's the you know. Component one, justification, two, truth, three, belief, four, only true grounds were used.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Okay, well, the what's going to happen? Because it was planned, and we stick to plans. Yeah. Is it all, you know, run through kind of how is some of the possible... Pluses and then what some of the traditional responses to them are because we're going to educate our audience mm, and me <laughs> and Ryan. <laughs> Another a ph- that's a Ryan problem with the no false beliefs account of the plus. I'm not entirely sure what its point was, I don't think I agree with it. But the philosopher's problem with it is that it's too strict and they come up with this is all the method of cases bouncing back and forth betwixt each other so the case that they use as their critique is alright well imagine we have a detective who's trying to solve a murder and they have a bunch of circumstantial evidence plus a bunch of testimony plus the murder weapon they've got some material they've got all these different things Yes. You fucking snoring.
0: (laughs) This is cold.
1: But that one—if imagine—if just one of their ten witnesses was lying, according to the Clark definition, that would have to mean. That they, the detective can't be said to know who committed the murder. Because there was somewhere in there a false grounding. And the Clark definition was it is only true grounds in there. So that, that feels to many people's intuitions too strict. Because if there's any falsity anywhere, you have to throw it out. And people apparently don't like that. <laughs> A fun one. <laughs> well, is it fun or is it snooze-inducing?
2: Hmm.
0: Mm. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I'm not drinking tea tonight. I'm. I will. I will behave myself. <clears throat> yes. What's
1: the next one? The next one they call by these guys Layer and Paxson. The no-defeaters account, the plus is going to be that there aren't any defeaters. Well, what the fuck is the defeater? (laughs) That there is some unknown falsifying fact out there. In the Gettier case that we talked about, the unknown falsifying fact is that it will be Smith, not Jones, who gets the job. In the clock case, the unknown falsifying fact is this clock is broken, etc. Okay. Does that make sense? Like that there's this the concept of a defeater and that if we add to JTB that knowledge is justified true belief undefeated.
0: <laughs> how, can, can I just quickly get a quick assessment of how you feel about these people? Well, I already attempted
1: to foreshadow what my opinion of all this entire discourse is. And that I think it's a big mistake and a poor methodology because all these people are doing is bouncing intuitions off each other and utilizing this method of cases back and forth and back and forth, and that it's all a bunch of red herrings or whatever. I just, it's. I don't think that what these intuition games do is epistemically interesting. It's only. Psychologically or anthropologically interesting?
0: Yeah, I, I would say that. I don't know if actually if it's anthropologically or psychologically interesting to me, but I <laughs> I don't know. I thought that they just sound somewhat similar, you know, the the last two. So is the ne- what's the next one? I feel like I need to know the playing field before I can really start to get a sense for these things. Taking them on one by one is is. Uh, is not proving to be very useful for me. So I just, I, maybe if you just run through them then we can kind of go at it a little more and you can kind of put your two cents down. Another one that came up
1: <clears throat> comes from this guy named Alvin Goldman. And he had a causal theory. And in this one, we're going to do a little more radical change because he even drops the justification component now and talking. replaces it. With a causal connection. So for Goldman, (laughs) knowledge is a true belief that was caused
0: in an appropriate way by the fact itself. Can we just say that it's a causally connected true belief? Yeah. The belief is true, and the belief was caused
1: by the state of the world being such as it is. I mean, yeah, we skipped over that entire thing about, you know, what is the nature of truth. On the Daughterless Philosophy, we typically default to correspondence truth, that what makes a proposition or a sentence true is that it somehow represents the way the world is, and that's what all the people we're talking about today also buy into, so that's how we're doing it. That, in the Goldman account, can include testimony in in your causal chain. So, of course, you've never perhaps been to the moon or even seen Mount Everest, but as long as your belief that Everest is the tallest mountain or that the moon is made of cheese or whatever, well, no, it has to be true, <laughs> or that humans <laughs> have been to the moon, whatever, was caused through some connection with someone who has seen Everest. Well, they reported it and then it got written in the textbook and then you were taught the textbook in school. So the causal connection can be very stretched out and tenuous and it can go through other humans. That still counts for Goldman. Causally connected. Yeah, you can have a causal connection that goes through a report of another human being, among other things. Uh, you know, n- unsurprisingly, I'm a fan of this in almost no ways, but...
0: <laughs> well, it doesn't address... Um, I don't know. I- I'm having a hard time seeing how it addresses the 10 coin. In that, the proposition was, the
1: man who will get the job has 10 coins in his pocket. That proposition was caused by what? Him counting the coins in Jones's pocket, and a indication from the boss that the boss was going to hire Jones. Mm -hmm. Neither of those are causally connected to what makes the proposition true, namely that Smith will get the job and has 10 coins. Mm -hmm. So that's why the Goldman account would fix the Gettier case. Because Smith didn't count the coins in his own pocket or think that Smith would get the job. But does that mean that
0: knowledge can be false? Don't think so. No. Because he didn't count the coins in his own pocket. And he thought it was going to be Jones, but it turned out to be him who got the job. So the the proposition is still true. And it's causally connected to whatever the events of that hiring day were about. And then that just seems like an accident though, like he, he lucked out. Like the clock or whatever. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Goldman is saying that the
1: Gettier case is not knowledge, just like Gettier is saying. And he's and Goldman has an account as to why it's not knowledge. Because it wasn't right. okay. appropriately connected Jesus. causally. Yes. That's, there yeah. That's that's the
0: okay. <laughs> okay. Um <clears throat> i mean you know we're all up I, I don't know i don't have as many problems with that as it seems like you do and we can wait till the end to go into that i guess what well, people do go
1: into the counterexample to this or whatever and this comes from goldman himself was we're gonna take ourselves to fake barn county and we've got
0: a <laughs> And you-, <laughs> you fucking philosophers. What the fuck is going on in your
1: heads? Arguments oh. from absurdity. All day long. Jesus.
0: All day long. Do you have nothing else? Can you just... Like, you guys like read, like, bad fiction all day or something. Like, Jesus. If we're not doing this, fuck. we literally
1: resort to emptying our pockets and seeing what's inside. Like... <laughs> yeah, basically, you idiots.
0: Oh my God, why? Why fake Barn County? Do you
1: know what they do in fake Barn County? They put up along the highway a bunch of two dimensional barn facades that look and they angle them just right and they. How far back said it is, they make it look like the right size or what? So that as you drive down the highway and look across the ditch onto the lawn, it looks to you in the car like that's a barn, but it's not really a barn. It's just a barn facade put up in the tradition of fake barn county. Almost everybody does this. There's fake barns everywhere, and as you're driving down the road, looking from side to side, you see a bunch of things that look to you like barns, but they're not. God. So you got a father and a son driving through here and the son from the back seat looks out and he sees what he takes to be a barn and comes to believe that there's a barn over there and says, Dad, barn! and points at it. So he believes there's a barn there. He's justified in believing it because he sees it with his own two eyeballs. But guess what? When he did that, when Johnny did that from the back seat... He was actually pointing at the one barn in Fake Barn County. Oh, my God. He wasn't pointing at a facade. That one was actually a barn. So his belief is true. And it was causally connected to a barn. Because the reason that he even pointed and said, look, there's a barn was that his eyeballs, the light bounced off of a barn, and so he has an appropriate causal connection to it and everything. But then, in comes the sneaky, nasty, little grinch (coughs) of an intuition. And we ask the question, well, do we want to say, does it seem to us as though Johnny knows that that's a barn? And because we know, contextually, that Johnny is currently in Fake Barn County, this intuition pump is supposed to make you say, well, I don't want to say he knows that, because 99 times out of 100, he would have been pointing at a fake barn. He happened to get lucky, but we don't like epistemic luck, so we want to say he didn't know it. (sighs) Have you passed out yet? (laughs) Next. Goldman comes up with the causal theory and his own counterexample. He says, "Well, I don't like this anymore. <laughs> Maybe we need to tweak that also. And then we get what they call reliabilism. Cuz now we're taking the environmental context into account. And the reliabilist says that your true belief was formed with a mechanism That is likely to deliver the truth in any given context. So then, when you're in fake Barn County, you can't, then Johnny doesn't know anymore because his mechanism, looking at Barnes from his car seat, is no longer reliable. Because we, when we expand out, take into account all the barn facades, then we say, well, you know, he's going to be wrong most of the time. So that's unreliable. So now that's not knowledge anymore. Right? Keep going.
0: Get it? <clears throat> care. you got to care. Well, you got to keep moving here so that we can care together.
1: What's the problem with that? Well, we've got these went- two problems with this one. Jesus fuck. One they call the generality problem, and that is how you characterize the mechanism in question. Do you say that the thing that we wish to be reliable is something really general, like sensory perception? Well, that's reliable. Or do we want to say that it's something very specific, like Johnny's current sensory perception of that barn? Is that the mechanism? Because in that case, that's not reliable. So that the way that you choose to characterize the mechanism in question, it can look reliable or unreliable in the same instance, given how much you take into account. Second problem is a big, fat, famous one called the lottery problem. Say there's a fair lottery with one million tickets sold. You happen to be holding one of those tickets and I say that ticket is a loser do I know that? under reliabilism, it looks like I do know it because mm. I believe that it's going to lose let's say it's true that it is a loser and my guess my claim that it's a losing ticket is going to be reliable 99.999% of the time because it's a one out of a million shot but Intuition pump: The intuition wants to say, "I can't know that it's a loser until I know what the winner is." It's a one out of a million chance that I'm wrong. So it seems odd to say that I know it's a losing ticket, and that is the intuition pump against reliabilism, since I can tell from the silence and the sighing and the can feel the vibrations in the force. From this entire thing. Told you that you would know when I'm complaining. We're going to go even further and bring in another (laughs) infuriating philosophical concept to me personally. When we get to the tracking theory. Which they attribute the invention to Fred Dretzky and the popularization to Robert Nozick. Because people know Nozick and they don't know Dretzky. But Dretzky was funner. Like he was kind of. And he was a
0: really good hockey player. I know. It's Gretzky or whatever. Oh, Gretzky. I was like, I don't know.
1: I don't know any Gretzky. Oh, all right. Yeah, Gretzky was the great epistemologist. The great one. No. (laughs) On ice. Yeah, we'll put them all on ice by the end of this.
0: Ho, 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 ho.
1: Anyway. So instead of being reliableists, we're going to have a tracking theory. And the tracking theory says that in order to have knowledge, your belief has to be justified and true, and it has to track the truth. All right, well, that sounds like a spatial metaphor, a hunting metaphor. What the hell are they talking about? What, is the, what are we tracking? What's the forest through which we are tracking truth? Well, Possible Worlds. Mm. Uh, We talk about David Lewis usually when we talk about Possible Worlds, and we have the concept of, given any sufficiently specific system of logic, of physics, of you name it, if you accept that system, it delineates... A set of allowable states of affairs from affairs that are states of affairs that are not allowed by said system. So that is the set of quote unquote possible worlds for any given system. So if you have some kind of Laplacian Newtonian physics, then the set of possible worlds of that system would be the arrangement of every atomic element of mass energy in space-time, or whatever. You know what I mean? Or if you have Aristotelian logic, then you have, well, everything, every possible world there is everywhere where there isn't a contradiction or something that's true and false at the same time, or a square circle, or whatever. Does that make any sense? Did I explain that well enough yet? When you have a truth-tracking epistemology, you have It justified true belief that if you go into a neighboring universe, into a parallel possible world, we start getting into subjunctives and counterfactuals. If you believe P in this world, but then you go to the quote-unquote nearest... Ahem... how the fuck you're talking about distant? define that? If you go to the nearest possible <coughs> world in which that belief is false, you no longer believe it. So I, they phrase it in would terminology. So that if P were false, you would not believe P. And if P were true, you would believe P. That's the the truth-tracking patch for JTB. You believe it, it's true, it's justified, and you wouldn't believe it if it weren't true. Have I expressed that in a way that might be understandable to anyone? Jeez. Is that what they're going with? The example for that one makes it Really clear. I like this example so much. I think it came up in a previous episode. No shit. We've got the Crooked Mob Zoo that has a bunch of painted mules in their zebra exhibit. Right?
0: This one, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So say you're standing in front of the exhibit at the zoo and there's a sign in front of it that says zebras, and you think, oh, all right, I have good justification to believe that that animal, yonder, is a zebra. Because I'm at a zoo, and I'm in front of a sign that says it, and it looks like one to me. Go to the neighboring possible world where most or all of the zebras in this zoo are cleverly painted mules, and then see if you still believe it. And, you know, that's kind of the the difficulty, or counterexample, for this one, because in that possible world, you still have the justified true belief, but you still, even though it's no longer a zebra, but now a painted mule, you still believe it. So you, it's not that you would have no longer believed it were it not a zebra, because it's not, but you still believe
0: it. Right. I, I mean, I I get the example, and I think I understand how it's refuting. Tracking theory, correct? Like, that's
1: its whole point? Event? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And eventually we should have a meeting probably on possible world semantics because I have all kinds of problems with that. Also, yeah, especially um, as I already kind of presaged, you know, what the hell do you mean by nearest? The truth value of counterfactuals is extremely difficult, if not entire nonsense stay tuned (laughs) we'll get to those someday all right fine that's my fill time version of god God. here's what a bunch of people have done with the gettier problem what are you going to add to jtb to get knowledge A ton of people have taken that seriously as a problem and worked really hard to solve it. Then they go around problematizing each other's accounts by exchanging intuition pumps. And they're like, yeah, well, here, this this makes, doesn't this account for the things that you like? And then someone else comes along and says, yeah, well, what if you're in fake Barn County? What if a bunch of mobsters painted a bunch of mules? <laughs> <laughs> and these people get paid and get jobs at big universities, and they think they're doing philosophy <laughs> when this is the game they're playing. Mm. And I'm not a big fan, and and obviously
0: Ryan isn't either. I'm sorry. I'm probably not being very uh, productive or constructive in my... Uh... Well, it's not even criticism. Well, yeah, take a half hour to just rail on
1: these people, or maybe it only takes thirty seconds. What's your problem with all of that?
0: Well, I mean, I, I don't know. It just seems like it's fake, Barron County. I mean, what, what's that's just it's it's laughable. It's not like I'm not saying that this person is an idiot, but I just maybe I am. I don't know, but it's. I don't know. It, it went off the rails, it seems like. It started out, and I was like, we were like talking about no false beliefs and stuff. And then all of a sudden, like, it started to go off the rails, maybe right away with like, no defeaters, you know, or whatever. Um, but yeah, fake Barn County, it just, you know, it's what? It's my whole thing. Like, it, why can't this just be normal? Like, why can't you just kind of try and come up with stuff not off the top of your head or where you know, the extremes you can go to to try and, <clears throat> you know, counter somebody's ideas. But just sort of set them in something that is more, t- you know, relatable or something. Like, I mean, I know it's, I don't know. It just, that's kind of what it comes down to for me. I, I, I know that you have a much more definitive uh, rebuke of this whole thing. But for me, it's just, I I mean, I'm not caught up in the intuition stuff and putting names on things. It's just, I just don't understand why it has to be so silly sounding and just silly in its content. I I don't take it very seriously, I suppose. It sounds like jokes or whatever, you know? The first one was the most serious one, I guess, to me. And I could relate it to something, like events that took place in the history of science or whatever. But then it's just like, we're just off the rails. uh, It feels like,
1: (laughs) I don't know. Well, I hope not, but maybe it's just my presentation. I'd rather blame it on you. Nice. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I don't like your, we just talked about it. I feel like you're just making aesthetic judgments. And they don't belong. You just get turned off by fake Barn County. What? This is ridiculous. I quit. You guys are idiots. But that's... No. It, like, that's not... like. Look I thought at of the something. Point. Okay.
0: No, because I thought of something like... They're just... Like, for instance, I just... I Maybe it's aesthetic. I, I'm not saying it isn't. But considering that it, it isn't, one of the things that I really always loved was you know, using the, you know, when we were talking about emergence, like that type of example that uh, Donald Campbell gives about the, you know, the ant pincers. It just seems like he's trying to talk about something in a way that can connect back to, you know, me as a person trying to grapple with the ideas that are being said. Instead, I get fake Barn County. It's not even like, oh, you know, like the the broken clock is a better example. I, I don't like the the bugs one. That seems to be in the same tradition. It's like, I don't think I would ever think that a bunch of bugs was smoke. I mean, maybe I would, but I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of think I know what a bunch of bugs looks like. And smoke does a different thing entirely, qualitatively, when you look at it than bugs. <laughs> I mean, maybe the bugs would be doing something even like that, but... You know, the particles and smoke are just so much smaller than the bugs. The fucking zebras, it's like, it's, you know, fucking, you, you've painted some mules, but mules have a very specific look, just morphologically. <laughs> and fucking zebras don't look like that. Like, it's just like, so now it would look like, uh, it would look obvious, you know that as well. You know, there's always that um, uncanny valley kind of shit that happens. Like, why not talk about these things and incorporate them in your arguments and what you're trying to do? Why do we have to go off the rails? You know, it, it just doesn't seem to to me anyway to to help me understand better what it is they're trying to say. It only adds more confusion. To the whole mix. Now I'm thinking about fake Barn County and I'm like, got this whole fucking thing going on. And I'm like, it's not helping me understand your point. It's ruining it, not for even aesthetic reasons. It's just adding more crap for me to have to deal with while I contemplate the point you are trying to make. Like, it's annoying. Like, just fucking be better, be cleverer <laughs> than that, you know? That's my problem.
1: Maybe what I can take from that is just another critique of the method of cases, maybe, because I don't like the methodology in the first place. If you make, instead, in lieu of arguments, if you just present cases, then you are at the mercy of the aesthetic judgments of your audience. And if you're talking to someone... Who really likes ants and doesn't like absurd examples? Doesn't like uh, uh, what they consider
0: to be unrealistic. Even what you're saying right now sounds kind of silly. You know, like, well, if you like someone who likes ants, but that's how that's how I
1: yeah I think yeah you do. I think you don't. You're like this biology evolutionary guy and you're like, oh, that's really cool about, oh, yeah, he found this example about ants and I know about that. And like, but when someone talks about the fake barns, you just think things like no one would ever do that. And why would it be limited to one county? And this is stupid. I don't
2: get hung up on
0: any of those things. Well because you're in the tradition of silliness and so you're very accustomed to it. Maybe that's what it is. It's not I mean and maybe it is aesthetics and this is just an aesthetic that you are you understand cuz you're familiar with it. Or maybe it's just familiarity and it has nothing to do with aesthetics. Maybe that's the kind of thing you're trying to say, but I don't think it's any of that shit. I think that you can still come up with a good explanation. I didn't mind the 10 coins example. I didn't mind the broken clock example, you know, as a way to say, here's a problem with the definition justified true belief. And then once they go off, I do have problems with some of these things. I don't know. I I don't know how far, you know, you're able to go with what you're saying. In my opinion, I I don't, I, I don't yield
1: to that. Well, what I'm saying right now is this is another reason to prefer arguments to intuition pumps, (laughs) because hopefully, if one makes an airtight, kick-ass argument, they wouldn't have audience members that just say... I can't even really think about the point of this because I can't get past the fake Barn County shit. Like, that's stupid.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, why not? But you had something to say about this. So how is it you're getting all caught up in what I think? I mean, what I think is what I think, and... I mean, what do you want, agreement? <laughs> You betcha. You, you know what thinking? I'm thinking right now? Yeah. You know what? I'm I'm worried. I've had this thing, um, and if it's not a problem, then it's not a problem, and it's great. But I've had this thing with my headphone, cord, mic, all that situation. Sometimes it records me, and it's all like, you know, rather than just my voice. And I've heard a couple times some of the scratchiness, but it was your voice, you know, that scratched. And I'm worried now that, like, I'm not even recording anything, you know, intelligible. But we're going to continue. That would
1: suck. Anyway, most of this was just me prattling on anyway, so we're good in
0: this episode. I've, I've I feel like I've talked a lot in this one. I've cackled. You've talked a lot I've of really shit. Uh, well, that's your co-host for you. Go out and get a different one. <laughs> never. I would never. It's like I need I need the shit talker in my life. Anyway, so what's your problem with these Harland? I know you've kind of already said it. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, let's try talking about that and see where it goes, if anywhere. Normative semantics. What ought words mean? What do we want? Like, If we view ourselves as some sort of discourse community that can, to some degree at least, choose what our words are going to mean. We can make our own dictionary definitions that aren't just based on lexicographical reports of how people do use them and they're not like it's not just descriptive it's normal like we're going to write it it's going to be terms of art we're going to construct an entire system here Mm -hmm. what do we want knowledge to mean? I think in part that's at least similar to what these people are trying to do when we go to that court case of, you know, well, is is Mm -hmm. JTB sufficient? That sounds pretty close, if not obviously normatively semantic. We want to develop an Aristotelian definition of knowledge. So I'm on board with that as a goal, as a project. But I feel that these folks that have been mentioned so far today, Gettier and those motivated by his paper, are doing it wrong, maybe even backwards. I don't think that when considering definitional questions, we should employ this method of cases. Because if you don't know what something is, then you can't look for it. Because you don't know what you're looking for. You won't know when you found it. You won't be able to distinguish an imposter from the real thing. You won't be able to distinguish the real thing from something totally separate. Because if if we look at this as a semantic question, what ought be the meaning of the term knowledge? How do we want to use that going forward? Then nowhere in that investigation, in that debate, are we allowed... To bring up an example and say, well, clearly X is not knowledge. Sure, I get it. Because we don't, right. I can't tell you if X is knowledge or not, because we are here today to debate what knowledge is. For the time being, I must remain entirely agnostic about any given X. Maybe it's knowledge, maybe it's not. Because I don't even know what knowledge is right now. That's what we're asking about. I think instead we should do it in a sort of scientific or like empirico-pragmatic, if that's a thing, like in that way, that we should start with a definition, stipulate something. It's usually not going to be entirely random because we were all raised up in some natural language or other. There's a status quo that we're operating in But then we can refine that a little bit with this faculty we have that we call reason, whatever the fuck that is. But we can say, all right, well, what does it kind of look like, knowledge is, right now? What does the dictionary say? How did the big philosophers use the word? Well, yeah, okay, we're going to, we kind of like, maybe knowledge is justified true belief. That's my hypothesis that I'm going to go and then test if we stipulate JTB is the definition of knowledge then we can go out in our environment and then you run your cases but you don't when you're testing any given case make an intuitive appeal to what well I don't want to call that knowledge <clears throat> nope objection thrown out of court sure. what you want is irrelevant at this point because yeah. we've already stipulated our definition now the only question is is or is that not knowledge boom so everything in our environment gets a stamp which things are and which things are not knowledge that's the test phase after that then you can go back you can zoom out and look at things from a larger perspective and say okay if we use jtb This is how we label our environment. Do we like that, or do we not like that as a whole? If not, then let's stipulate a new definition, go back out, relabel everything, then compare. Let's have multiple working hypotheses, multiple working definitions, and compare one against the other. But in that entire process, unless I'm mistaken somewhere and I'm slipping them in the back door, intuitions don't play a role. Nowhere do we say, but I." that doesn't seem like knowledge to me. I don't want that to be knowledge. And that, so that's what I'm, you know, that's the two, what I'm seeing is the two different possibilities. There could be others. Gettier and his followers are playing this intuitive language game and by employing the method of cases and checking out how it seems and i think it's all wrong and we should be more empirical and scientific about it and instead go with stipulate and test
0: okay so you're essentially advocating for george box's sort of feedback loop that he's talking about where you have a hypothesis and then you you know you have a bunch of well hypothesis and then in science you got a bunch of expectations or whatever predictions you collect a bunch of data uh, that you think would be the right kind of data to test to match up against the expectations that then becomes the test you use statistics to kind of complete that comparison and then whatever the results turn out to be if they don't match very well, or if there are a few loose ends, which there always are, then you modify whatever the hypothesis originally was, or maybe you go to a completely different one, and you try and see how that works in the loop. You ended up talking about multiple working hypotheses as well. Um, I think that's sort of a slightly different approach, but I mean, is that kind of your, your stipulation is akin to a hypothesis and well, tests are tests. I, I, I'm going to ask you first, does that sound like I understand what you're saying? And then I'm going to have a a follow-up question. I think it does. Yeah. Okay. So then what would you say if you're willing to entertain me on this, what would you say is the test in this arena? I mean, it not probably going to be statistics right or 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 is it or what what are you thinking what's the definitive kind of test to be like oh okay that's not you know or whatever when i you was know? using the word
1: test in this example and it might be a poor use what i was talking about was you stipulate your definition slash make your hypothesis then you pick up items in your environment and test them against that definition. If knowledge is JTB, then is this Gettier case knowledge or not? So you take the case and you say, oh, the man who will get the job has 10 coins in his pocket. Well, that meets the definition of JTB, so yes, that is knowledge. I tested it, it comes out as a positive, so done. And whether... Or who has an intuition? I don't think that sounds like knowledge. That doesn't seem like knowledge to me. Is entirely ignored as irrelevant. I have my hypothesis. I have my data point. I test it. I see, oh, yep, that qualifies as knowledge. Boom. So that's what the test, what I meant by testing. Does that explain anything?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, it explains it. To an extent, when you talk about the 10 coins thing, do you talk about it his whole thing with the, he, th- he suspects it's Jones and all that, or just a proposition, the man with the- Just the proposition. Uh, who will get the job has 10 coins. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, I mean, if it's just the proposition, then sure, I get it. Because that's what
1: the JTB account says. It's just S believes P, P is true, S is justified in believing P- done and that p meets those three things so then on the jtb stipulation we call it knowledge and then we move on to the next example and then we label our entire environment as all knowledge or not knowledge based on that definition then and only then oh see there only then do you step back and say okay I now have the lay of the land. This is how JTB works. Do I like it or not? Or what other examples have people come up with? Let's look at their map and see which map we prefer and why. So when we're talking about arguments as the making of claims and the providing of definitions and premises to support the making of those claims... An example of a normative semantics claim would be, knowledge should mean justified true belief. So that's a claim, it's normative, and it's about meaning. So we've got a normative semantics claim, and then we can come up with an argument as to why, what do you mean it should mean that? What's your argument for that? And then part of the argument for that would be, well, here's my mapping of how, of which things in our world, would count as knowledge and not count as knowledge. What do you think? Is this the best map we have yet? And if so, that's what I mean by should. This map allows us to pursue our projects in the most efficient manner that we have yet developed. So, as far as we've thought, for this place and time and this linguistic community we are going to mean, JTB by knowledge, let's move on, until someone comes up with a better map. And I think that's how things generally work in science, as I understand it. If later a counterintuitive result is discovered, as, for example, in quantum physics, a bunch are, well, if that's what your math says, that means that the, elect- the photon went through both slits at once. That doesn't seem possible. But in the sciences, we usually don't let that moment, that counterintuitive discovery, mean we have to go back and revolutionize our models. But in philosophy and in epistemology, it often seems it, it seems to work that way. And I wish it didn't. <laughs> we should just say "fuck your intuitions." It doesn't matter. You, first of all, you're not allowed to have an intuition there anyway. The judge would throw it out on objection, because we don't have a definition of knowledge in play right now. So you can't even say it doesn't seem like knowledge to me. Because that is a very question at issue, and in order to say it doesn't seem like knowledge begs the question. I say that every week. Does any of this
0: make sense? I guess I, I guess I, I have some specific questions, but what's the what's the point upon which you would think you then say, well, I've had enough cases. Now I'm going to evaluate what my normative semantics decisions will be, or come up with decisions or something. So, like, how many cases do you need? Like, it, it, does it matter? Do you, when do you know it's enough and you're like, damn it, this is enough? I have no better answer to that question
1: than it's entirely contextual and based on contingent communal and situational factors at any given place and time. How many things actually do convince the relevant people of what I want to say or. There's an asteroid coming at Earth. We have to pick one. If there's some kind of pressure, then that would, you know, diminish the number of cases. If we have time and leisure and we're enjoying our milk and honey on Olympus all day, then maybe we need more cases. So that there would just be... I don't have a
0: general answer to how many. I think it's situational. So you wouldn't be open to doing statistics then, like if you just said, well, a success was you give it the value one and a, and a, you know, failure was the value of zero and then did some kind of statistics on the number that you collected and then just used what people have come up with uh, in their understanding of statistics as the appropriate number of a sample size to be able to evaluate whether or not you like it or not. uh, Or one should use that definition or not or anything. You don't want to do like statistics is what you're saying. So I think is the whole point of statistics is to be an arbiter of those kinds of decisions or, you know, to be able to make decisions without, I don't know, it it sounds wishy-washy to me to be like, well, you know, well, you know, I mean, I don't know, like, I'm just curious, like, how far into science do you want to go, bro? Do you want to stay philosophy and you'll be like, wait, wait hold on a second, or do you actually want to do science on, you know, your questions and then, you know... I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I'm just curious to know where we go from here.
1: There's no difference anyway. Philosophy and science is all a continuum, remember? The ones and zeros in your example would be what? JTB calls P knowledge and we like that? Is that how you get a one? And then JTB calls this thing knowledge and we don't like that. Like it calls the gettier case knowledge and we don't like that, so that gets a zero. Is that kind of how you get them, or what are the ones and zeros?
0: If the proposition the man who get the job has ten coins is the only thing that's being evaluated and it fits the justified true belief definition, then that would be a one. It would be a success. And if it didn't fit uh, the case didn't fit the justified true belief, because, I don't know, it was a woman or something, I don't fucking know, uh, who got the job and, or something, then it would be a zero. And in this
1: statistics you're talking about, does the higher number win?
0: Um, well, you'd want to evaluate whether or not that number was high enough. Like, I mean, the higher number, I mean, could you have gotten it just by chance? Could you have gotten it, you know, like, have you looked at enough cases, you know, that if you did it, you know, it could have been a different way. You could you, you could have had more zeros than ones or whatever. You know, like how do you, you know, that's one of the main things that I think statistics tries to evaluate is whether or not you're in the right ballpark. Because just evaluating it based on just your own, given the eyeball test and just, or, you know, given like, oh, I feel like this is the right amount of successes or whatever, you're, I don't know how you're absolutely evaluating it. That's all I'm trying to ask is like, what, what, what are you, what would be the mechanism upon which you then are satisfied and then turn to the crowd and say, I declare justified true belief for the moment or whatever to be, we ought to use that as a definition of general, uh, as knowledge because, and then, you know, I looked at a bunch of cases or something. I, I'm not sure exactly. I think at this point we're
1: talking past each other mostly. If I'm following what you're saying, then I think that statistics could play a role in our normative semantic decisions. They would be parts of the arguments. There could be sub-arguments or premises based around some sort of statistical evaluation. The way that you presented it there, it sounds like the one that would always win is the definition of knowledge. All propositions are knowledge. Because that one would have all ones, and then it would just... So that what you said I don't think works, but the, the right version <laughs> of what I think you're trying to get at, I'm in favor of as being a component of our decisions.
0: Okay. I- I'm not quite sure what you were saying about not understanding about the propositions but this could be us talking past each other is like you just said. But I was talking about just a very specific, you know, I was saying, okay, the whole stipulate and test. I'm I'm gonna say, okay, what's the test? You know? And then you you gave me a little bit of an example and I was like, okay, well how would you crunch that? You know, how would you kind of chug that out and then say we ought to use whatever as a definition or not use it as a definition or something along those lines that's all i was saying i was getting maybe a little too specific so i was drilling down on that and that's what my questions were that's all do you have more
1: or is that you already used them up? no
0: no that was it that was i just was curious
1: so it's is it as i feared that you're just like yeah okay I in general agree with you. These people are nuts, and in your ways better. Or like, do you have any comments about this part where I'm saying they're doing it back? The only
0: other thing, well, the only other thing that I would say is that <clears throat> I like that you mentioned that you've got something that you start with, right? So that you're not just kind of pulling a definition out of thin air. I mean, you could. You could. It would just right? be really and then just inefficient. Iterate, iterate, yeah, it would be totally inefficient. So you're going to start somewhere, because otherwise I don't know who would be interested, philosophers anyway. But, you know, yeah, you start somewhere, like justified true belief or whatever, and then you test it. And then my question was, well, when is it enough to, for you to say, you know what, I don't think justified true belief is an appropriate definition of, you know, whatever is going on that, you know, for knowledge or something. So anyway, I, I just was going on that. That was it. I like that you mentioned that you're starting from something that it wasn't, you know, cause that was the old thing that always gets me tripped up when you talk about not liking defining something by taking a whole bunch of cases or whatever, and then kind of piecing it together that way. I was like, well, we kind of, I think always have to start somewhere with whatever the information is that we have at hand and then we put it together and then we test. And so, you always have to start somewhere. That's the only chicken and egg issue that I have. Especially when it's a loop like that. Well, I kind of think
1: that aspects of this are on both ends. Yes, you have to start somewhere, and then also after you've run your tests, you have to from some pragmatic position evaluate what you've where you've arrived. Cause if you weren't able to do that, then there's no way to weigh one stipulation against another. There's only, well, here's the results of this stipulation, and here's the results of this one. And you would have no way to choose. So there has to be pragmatic concerns on both ends, and I'm not trying to get out of that. And so there will be something like intuitions or maybe even intuitions that do play roles it's just that i think the gettier tradition uses them in a vicious way they use them at the wrong place and in the wrong manner that you shouldn't kind of on a par and while you're down in the field doing your tests say All right, well, according to the definition that I came in here with, this looks like it would be knowledge, but I refuse to buy that. Like, I'm not going to even
0: stamp it. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like um, with the FDA. I I don't know if this is going to work or not, but there's positive and negative results. Negative results let's just say is based on statistics and posi- all the results are based on statistics. And the main player that was traditionally used for many years was just, you know, using like the the statistical significance and things called p-values and whatnot. And so typically they would say anything that had a p-value less than like 0.05 was a success. So it was a, you know... Positive result. Yay, the drug works or whatever. And anything that was greater than that value of zero point zero five was a negative result and boo, you know, the drug doesn't work. But sometimes, and usually what the thing was is that they were comparing their drug against a placebo. But sometimes if they had an a comparator, an active comparator that was another drug out on the market that they were comparing it to. So there'd be the new drug you're trying to you know, get, get out there and sell, you've got your placebo, and then you've got this other drug that maybe, says already on the market. If your formulation of a drug doesn't beat placebo and the other drug that's on the market doesn't beat placebo, then they just would say, well, it's a failed study you know, there's something was wrong and blah, blah, blah. And it allows them to not have to say, well, ours didn't beat placebo because something's wrong with this situation. If the drug that's out on the market, that I thought did well against, you know, whatever that beat placebo, you know, well enough to be approved by the FDA or whatever. Well, there must be something wrong with the trial or whatever it is. And so they never really acknowledge the fact that, Their drug didn't be placebo. When and
1: at least uh, in that example, what could have been wrong is the previous whatever allowed it to get FDA approval.
0: Yeah, right. And so, or whatever you know. And so it just becomes very, you know, messy. And anyway, I was trying to make a comparison. Yay! Thought it worked. Great. So, yeah, I still like the whole Gettier point to be honest with you but you know i i i don't know if 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 that is you know he did separate the proposition out from what the basis was for smith to make the proposition and so
1: i don't know and then we've got the whole issue that we didn't even touch yet about the concept of a definite description that this and the opacity or transparency of those and how it works to say the man who will get the job has said properties versus (laughs) a indexical definition or whatever, where it's actually Smith and you know what that is. A rigid designator Kripke called them, which are, and that brings possible worlds in again. Like, is there such a thing as, Something that designates an object across all possible worlds, or whatever. Versus those that only describe, hopefully, one thing. The man who will get the job. And I think that also, those issues play into the Gettier intuitions.
0: Hmm, yeah. Is that idea that you're calling out Smith specifically... I mean, is that analogous to like hard coding and programming or whatever? Is that does that make sense to you, or am I just totally being
1: I think so. That writing Smith or Jones is okay. like hard coding, and writing the man who will get the job is like making a function that takes a parameter and outputs something else, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, good. That's all I wanted to know. Sweet deal. How do you feel about this one? It happened. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed right. like it, happened. it was good. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, I don't know. It's the man who will talk about Gettier will say that it happened.
1: It's hard to well. evaluate your own performance, especially as it's still occurring.
0: Whatever. How do you feel about you it? You know. You. Fucking- you- <laughs> How do you feel about me after this episode? That's the that's the real question. You're the best.
1: I'm lucky to have you around. <laughs> I'm the
0: best. Nice. That's a that's a really nice answer after I basically laughed at a good chunk of this. Fucking fake barn county. God damn. Fake barn your face. <clears throat>